Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to this three podcast network, which includes the shows Education on Fire, sharing creative and inspiring learning in our schools, Learning on Fire, Education from Sharing Wisdom, Not Testing, and the National Association for Primary Education. Find out all you need to know at educationonfire.com. There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Tim Lewis. Hi Tim, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Hi, it's great to be on the show. This is where I'm tempted to say it. I am Tim Lewis in a kind of I am Groot way. Uh, but I suppose you probably want to know more about me than just my name. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm... What am I? I mean, one of the... Uh, interesting things is you think of a 46 year old you'd be able to say when somebody says who are you and what do you do i'd be able to say well i'm an author well i am an author but i'm also a podcaster i'm also a social media sort of expert and uh social media lovey uh, i'm a conference addict what else am i i'm a widower uh i'm a londoner uh, I like to think of myself as very well-travelled, but I've only ever lived within the M25. Um, <laughs> I I went to school in Watford, which is just northwest of London, uh, and then I went uh, and I studied economics at the London School of Economics, which is in London as well. And then I did a master's conversion course in computer science at University College London. And then after that, I worked for three years for a company that did software for foreign exchange dealing systems at banks, so banks like Barclays. And then I went and joined for 18, no, for 15 years, I worked for a money broking company, which is basically like a dating agency for banks. Right. Uh, what money broking <laughs> does is when two banks want to trade something, they used to historically go to a money broking company. So if somebody, if a bank, Barclays wanted to buy an interest rate swap for five years, they'd ring up ICAP, which is the company I work for, and they would say, do you know anybody who wants to, uh, who's looking to sell an interest rate swap for five years? And they had used to have historically have all these boards with blackboards with prices written on them. But obviously in my day, they had systems and I worked on those systems, uh, mainly in the back office side for recording like financial trades. Uh, and then after I was widowed in 2011, my wife uh, had a stroke in 2009 and she was disabled for two years. And sadly, she passed away in 2011 from kidney problems. Uh, after that, I had the opportunity because it paid off. The insurance money paid off the mortgage and I had reasonable investment income coming in. I had the opportunity to give up work and I was really going to do IT contract work. But. In my notice period, I read a book about self-publishing, and I thought, well, I want to give I want to give that a go. Uh, the funny thing is, I, at the time, I wanted I, I think deep down I wanted to run a business and I wanted to be a business person. Have my I'd always want, been interested in business, but I'd never taken that step. But I started off self-publishing time travel books, uh, and then later years I went started uh, writing fantasy books. But one of the problems is as soon as you try and sell any kind of product, whether it's a book or any service, you have to learn things like marketing and sales. And one of the newest ways to market anything is on social media. So this got me into, very interested in social media marketing and social media in general. Now, my last book called Social Media Networking is actually a testament to what I've learned about social media, which is that it's a fantastic for fantastic platform for making connections, for getting job opportunities, speaking gigs, uh, finding even finding romance, um, lots of 
individual person to person things. But I still can't sell books on social media. I'm still terrible at social media marketing or actual <laughs> selling products. But the book is about my my discovery myself. And also I interview 20 people in the book about how they've used social media to get ahead in their life. And I think that's, that is the thing that I've kind of been working on the last year or so is the whole social media networking side of things. And I've got a vast network of people I know globally. So if I travel to somewhere like the US, there's a good chance I'll know I'll be visiting a couple of people I already know from social media. So I'm going to be going on a long trip to the US in about a month. And I think there's about five or six people I already know from social media I'm going to be meeting on that journey. So my life is kind of hard to define, but that's kind of where I am. I'm kind of a writer. Uh, I do a bit of social media consulting for people. Um, what else do I do? I run a Twitter chat, the Alliance of Independent Authors. Uh, so that's basically helping indie authors to talk about various subjects to do with self-publishing. My podcast is about, uh, teaching people how to write and self-publish a book in the way that I've done quite a few times now. So that, that's basically who I am. What I find really interesting is, is do you think you can actually sell anything on social media or do you think that your experience is quite typical, that it's great for all of those things you described, but this, the selling element of it comes almost secondary because of the connections that you make yeah well i mean you can sell you can sell anything anywhere um so what do i mean by that if you send two billion direct messages to people on twitter for example and you're selling a vaguely useful product there may be 20 or 30 people who just at that time have been looking for, say, a pet hair removal device, and that's the thing that you're selling, and you've sent a direct message out to 2 billion people, you will get sales from this bulk approach. But the big question that people have now is basically, who are you? Unless they know you already in some way, or they've heard of you, then that kind of blanket uh, sales approach which is what business is moving from uh, to the new world of, where it's more connection and brand and reputation based so yeah you can you can sell still certainly sell stuff on social media um, but it's a lot easier if you build up a reputation amongst people in your customer audience kind of so if we go, I don't know why I came up with this idea of a pet hair removal device. Uh, so you've got, it like, removes pet hair from carpets or something. If you are very active in pet Facebook groups, uh, you've given a lot of advice to people about things, they are going to be much, much more likely to buy your pet hair removal device than just randomly finding somebody on LinkedIn. <laughs> no idea who they are and just sending them a message saying i sell pet hair removal devices are you interested um so yeah it, i think like uh a lot of it is identifying i mean you could always you could always find somebody who is looking for that thing and this is where search and google and sites like pinterest which are very search based if you have a pin on Pinterest and it has pet hair removal device, the most people who are going to see that are people who are searching for pet hair removal device. <laughs> so that's a different kind of uh, way of selling because you are the, the audiences in themselves pre-screening it. Uh, so yeah, you can sell on social media, but it's quite it's a lot harder than it used to be because when social when nobody was doing social media selling on social media it was a lot easier there used to be a time where you could put stuff on facebook on a facebook page and it would sell because everybody would see it and nobody was doing it but now everybody's doing it um so you have to stand out from the crowd and it is it's interesting you know in terms of that especially as you're growing up if you're if you're a teenager and you're still at school that sense of you know what does social media mean to you you know in terms of yeah. hanging out with your friends online you know just general chit chat and that kind of thing and then to actually then turn the whole thing around and you're almost thinking about it as a as a business you're thinking about it is putting yourself into networks which are going to help you get a job or and how all that works and I, I find it interesting because I find 
certainly there are lots of people that I know and that I'm connected to online. And it seems to be a small world because you get into one particular Facebook group, for example, which is particularly about, say, podcasting. And then there's another one and another one. And the same sorts of people that are really keen to be part of these communities keep cropping up. And so your network is vast, but then it also becomes relatively um, focused as well because you get to then interact with people and see what they're into and what they're what they're about. And it's a very easy step then sometimes to then, like I say, to make those connections, which can help you in all manner of ways that you wouldn't have thought possible when you're literally just chatting about what you've been doing at school those few years before i mean there's a couple of things that i would say and i'm terrible at this myself uh, i'm still in the process of trying to work this out if you are known for something i sound a bit like mark schaefer because you've that book known but let's say um you've got a teaching product in like fifth century history or something like that. If you are known and you mention it, and everybody, this is the only thing you talk about is like the history, history in the fifth century. Um, I can't even think what actually happened in the fifth century. But, <laughs> um, if I meet somebody and uh, we're having a discussion, and they say, apropos to nothing, uh, I really like history, but I really want to know more about the fifth century, but I don't. I'm going to remember that you are, if you're in my network, I'm going to remember you're the fifth century history guy. And I'm going to say, well, have you checked out Mark's fifth century history guide or his YouTube channel or his podcast, or even like you should talk to this guy because he knows everything. There is everything to know about that particular topic. So this is why you hear a lot of people talking about niching or niching, however you want to describe it. Being known for something in a network is, is and this is something I, I fail at because I do all sorts of things. Uh, so I'm known a bit for self-publishing. I'm known for the social media networking side of things. I'm known for connecting people. I like connecting people and it's actually quiet. But because you will get referral traffic if you have a big social media network. So if you're a business person, um, if, if people know exactly what they do, and a lot of online business, the problem is making sure people understand what you actually do. But if people know what you actually do, and it's fairly specific, and it can be just a generic thing, but in a particular area. So I know a lot of people who are social media marketers in Ireland, for example, and there's like three or four I know. But I would refer them, as soon as somebody mentions about Ireland and social media marketing, I would refer them to to those people and say, do you know these people? So being known for something is very important in terms of the incoming connections. Now, in terms of looking to connect with people, uh, and this is very important now, if you're not a business owner and you are looking for a full-time permanent role somewhere, you're looking for a traditional career. Um, I think as things go on, the traditional career model will probably become less important for people. But this, uh, but the ability to network is useful even if you run your own business or you go freelance or you do whatever. You need to be thinking about what sort of companies and people you want to be making connections with. So let's say rather than gra- graduating from UCL in 1995, like I did with a computer science MSc, I was... I was going to graduate now. And let's say my dream job was to work for Google or or IBM. Now, what people don't appreciate, uh, and it took me a long time, this is so obvious that people don't appreciate. And in fact, there are statistics from the US Bureau of Labor that say this. Of all of the jobs that are become available, 40% 40% are never advertised. They go to somebody who the person has found either through connections or they know somebody already or somebody worked with somebody in the past. So 40% of all jobs are never advertised. You, you, unless you know the person, you're, you've got no access to those 40% of jobs. And the even more remarkable statistic of, of the other 60%, Half of those jobs go to somebody the person already knows. <laughs> so if you look at it, it's like if you haven't built up a network of connections of relevant people, you are you can't get the 40% of jobs that never advertise because you never hear about them. 
And half the jobs you're going to go for, you won't get. You will go for the interview process, but you won't get it because the person will give it to somebody they already know. So it's like, do you want to be that person who is competing for the 30%? You can be the best candidate in the world, but if they don't, if the employer doesn't know who you are and you can't demonstrate skills, then it's like, go for the other, go for the 40%. That's what you want. You want to be the person who's offered the job and nobody else gets the, uh, I mean, this is less likely bigger companies because they yet generally have to have an open recruitment policy. But even so, you will then, even at a bigger company, you will be one of the half of the people who, who are going, who gets the job because they already know you. Uh, and so if you go, if I was in that position now, being at uh, UCL, and I was just going to, I would be making, knowing what I know now, which I think is one of your later questions, <laughs> I would be making connections on, I would go in onto LinkedIn, I would find who are like people in Google, and I would, I, I would look to see, are they posting anything? Can I make comments on their posts? Uh, even better if they're running a live show or something like that. And you can go on, you can be, comment on their posts. Are they in Facebook groups? Are they in LinkedIn groups? Can I comment on this stuff? Just so that, like, when my Tim Lewis, my name comes up on their, like, recruitment thing, they're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy because he's commented on my posts on LinkedIn. Um, those sort of social media gives a great way to open up the whole who you know, which has previously been restricted to old boys networks and people are, oh, I used to go to university with so-and-so, or this person dated my daughter, or... Like I used to play golf with this person. Oh, I met this person down the pub and meeting people down the pub is endemic in the city of London, or at least was in my day. number of people I know who got jobs because they met somebody down the pub. So now you can use social media. Anybody can use social media. You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to have gone to the right particular school to make a connection with somebody. There's a level playing field. That's what social media gives you. So rather than having to basically go and play golf with people or go down the pub um, and meet people there and try and get a job that way. Now you can use it using social media. So, and also, I mean, historically, a lot of it is people who knew people from school or other networks. Uh, now, it doesn't matter what school you go to, you can just go into social media and find people and make those connections on your own, on your own merit. So that's why it's a great leveler. I love that on your own merits. I was just literally thinking then as well. It's that kind of you can be focused and determined at what you want to try and create. And, and you have that flexibility. You have that ability to do that. You know, like you say, you can search, you can find, you can comment, yeah. you can be around and just be there. And like you say, then your name pops up. Oh, yeah, this is the person that does this. Or like you say, I know that person, which is an interesting way of saying it, because, of course, you don't actually know them at all. But yeah. it, it's just that actually you really do because they were someone that you'd never heard of before and now there's someone that like say you've got half a dozen um comments that you've made or they happen to be on your live stream for something and and it just it's that kind of uh there, there, were, there were a couple of things that um i really struck me we were talking just before one of them is the fact that as a musician i had this conversation with lots of people it's the fact you might be the best musician in the world while you're practicing in your practice room but if no one knows that you play anything then you're never going to get booked for anything <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and um, and you know, and there's very much that whole kind of getting jobs from your social world and down the pub and all the rest of it in in that kind of industry as well. Um, so it really is that sense of you know you get yourself out there and and you and you make those connections and you and you and you do exactly that. So it really is a a really important factor, and I, and I love the fact that now we've got much more control of that. That's really key. Oh yeah, I mean it is a lot. I mean there's a lot wrong with social media, but on the other hand it gives so much more opportunity to to everybody. I mean, before, most of these networks were shut. Uh, if you wanted to know somebody who was a CEO at Google, you had to find somebody who already knew them, and then you had to go in. But now you, certainly on something like Twitter, where everything's open, you can go on and you can see what this person is doing. Um, and, and a lot of companies have like blogs and podcasts and live shows are fantastic for connections. Somebody runs a like Facebook live show 
or any kind of thing. And they actually, it's a show where they actually care about the comments. Uh, there are some live shows where people want, <laughs> it's like they might as well just not be live because they don't even, but most people, because a lot of, I mean, I was a guest on somebody's live show the other day and they were like, well, I never get any comments. And I'm like, well, uh, we have to change that. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who have, who have content, great content out there, but nobody ever sees it. Uh, and as you're saying, like the musicians, the best musicians in the world, if nobody hears the music, then it's it, so you've got to be out there making connections. Really, that's the the lesson. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's such an important conversation that we've had today. You know, especially with um, the teenagers and younger people and their concept of what social network is and, and social media and how they use it. And I think just starting to blur the lines between it just being friendly, actually, how am I thinking this is going to work from a professional point of view, even if you don't know what career you're going into or anything like that. But it's, I think a lot of what runs through the podcast often is the sense of what's your passion, what are you interested in? And even if that's where your starting point is, you know, I'm interested in technology, so I'm going to follow this person or I've heard about this and there's a like say a live broadcast i'm going to watch that you're starting to make those those ideas and those connections and and making those decisions to help yourself and i think i think that's great and like you say there's positives and negatives to all these things but i think being intentional with all these things is is the most important factor yeah i mean another thing um there is a, a potential validation element to making social media connections so Let's say that you think you want to be like a neurosurgeon or something. Go on to loads of medicine, neurosurgery, Facebook groups. Uh, get to know people who already work in that uh, thing. And then you may find, oh, actually they work weekends all the time. Or they, you've got to spend 10 years working 80-hour weeks and then you may think, well, actually, this isn't really what I want to do. I'm not actually as keen on this <laughs> idea. Um, so, in a, because this is, a, again, there's another element. If you make connections with people in the industry that you are looking to get into, you can find out uh, what the language is that they speak, what the terms mean. Um, so it's like, um, what was that? It's rather bizarre, but I kind of do it as a, like a hobby thing. But there's this uh, YouTube channel called Mentor uh, Mentor Pilot or Mentor Three Six Five, where it's this airline pilot who trains other airline pilots. Um, but he, sh- he goes on about a lot of air, sort of aircraft uh, like things. So like what happens in turbulence and the rest of it. But he uses all of this terminology, um, which airline pilots would know. So by consuming, even if you don't make brilliant connections and you don't make somebody who's going to be recruiting, you can learn the lingo of that industry. So, like, there are lots of terms and phrases in financial markets which mean one thing, and outside of that, they mean something else. Uh, and if you have enough, um, if you've spent enough time making connections with people and consuming their content and consuming the content that people in that industry consume, then you will be able, if you go to a job interview, even if you don't know anybody, you will be able to speak the language that they talk in that profession, uh, which is worth something in itself. So even if you're totally terrible making connections that are useful, you will give yourself an advantage by just trying. I wonder if, um, yeah, I mean, it really is like teaching yourself, isn't it? I mean, and I, I always bring this back round to the sort of learning to podcast and all that sort of thing. You know, that yeah. came out from my love of just hearing people doing it. And then, ah, oh, all of a sudden there's you know, a free podcast course that you can do. So there's nothing to be lost. So, you know, you sign up and you do that. And then you think, oh, I could do this and I could do that. And it, there's always more to everything than, you, like you say, you immediately think, you know, that kind of, oh, I'm going to be a brain surgeon, but I don't want to work that number of hours or whatever it happens to be or study for that long. And podcasting is one of those things. There's a lot more to it than initially might meet the eye. But the way in can be very simple. You know, I didn't go to college or school to learn about podcasting. I did it around my normal life. You know, I was able to train and to learn these things and connect with people and join groups and communities through it. 
just in a very natural organic way and that feels very freeing which i really like because that's you know the opposite of the the school system often where it feels quite claustrophobic and quite set you know that fact that you can learn what you want when you like i think is a great is a great starting point yeah i mean i'm sure you've discussed this multiple times on your show uh education i think is in a state of i wouldn't like to predict how people are learning in 50 years time whether this existing school system will exist um because everything is there's clearly needs to be a change in the educational system globally and how people are taught make it like jump up to date with all the technology that's available now Uh, i don't think just having kids in classrooms with ipads is really (laughs) the level of how (laughs) education is going to go um and yeah i mean it's like and maybe this like uh, I've, I've probably gone totally in terms of your questions i think i've basically driven off the track and gone straight into the jungle <laughs> somewhere uh but it, it's yeah i mean i'm in my lifetime uh, which i was born in 1973 so i the uh, i think when i I think I, I think UK had joined the EU about two months before I was born. Um, so, but that was just a different world entirely to now. The, the amount of change, how society has transformed, uh, and I've only really become fully aware of how much society and industry uh, and everything has changed in the last five years or so since I've been working for myself and I got into the world of online business. And I've got involved in social media. Everything is changing, and it's changing very quickly. And the education system isn't keeping up with that at all. I think what we've been talking about really is the key in so many ways. The fact that you have you have more control than you ever did before. You have access to things you never would have had before. And I think well, one of the reasons I wanted to set this podcast up was the fact that I knew that there were plenty of people within the school system who just thought, but there's more to it than this, you know, or, or parents mm. thinking, how to, how can I support my kids in this new world when, you know, they don't want to get up in the morning and go to school or they don't want to do this or they don't want to do that or they feel like they're, it's all very claustrophobic and oh, we've got to get them to study and all of that kind of thing. And the one thing that we know is that in the holidays, the kids seem to get up without any trouble. So it's not that they need more sleep. It's just the fact they'd rather get up and not have to go to school sometimes. Um, and also, if they're into something new, then they love it and they lap it up and they try and find stuff out and all of that kind of thing. And while there has to be some kind of structure one feels and there has to be some kind of um, the fact that as grown-ups and educators we have, you know, that experience that we should be using as guides and coaches and mentors. But I think it should be more that structure than kind of now you're going to sit down and learn X or learn Y. Once you've got over that sort of basic understanding of what you need to be educated, you know, can you read? Can you write? Do you know how to learn? Do you know what you're into? And then from there, just be much much more of a mentorship because you can just learn everything else backwards you know you can understand what you're learning and then go away and learn the rest of it online take a course in something and then come back with all that knowledge and information and then we can talk about it and how we can use it and what we can do rather than you need to sit here while I pour that information in with the other 30 people in the class who may or may not be interested at that particular time this is actually coming back to my economics degree which is actually one of the most useless useless qualifications of the day. <laughs> but um, in other ways it's very useful um, but there's this signaling, uh, I can't remember, it's called social signaling. Like, so a large chunk of education at the moment is you get your GCSEs or you get your A levels, and you get an A level in physics that signals to people, either employers or other people, something. So they think, oh, he's got A level physics, this guy must be good at science. Um, because he's got an A-level in physics. Uh, and how good he is depends on what the grade is or how good she is even. I'm being terribly sexist in my uh, example person. Um, and that was the way that society operated. It was very regimented. It was GCSEs and A-levels and degrees. But now you can demonstrate knowledge by having a blog on a topic 
by having been interviewed on other shows on the topic, uh, I having written a book. I mean, I've self-published all of my books. Um, admittedly, they are too generally to publishing, well, these small press publishing standards. So it's like uh, I've used expensive formatting software and I've paid for covers and, ed- and used editing and other things. But previously, like, having a book was very much a you've been another signaling thing you've been chosen by a publisher to be published so you are the expert in the subject uh though again that a lot of that was by the old boy network <laughs> hmm. so there's a lot of people who've written academic books who aren't really the, the world expert on that book they just happen to know the right person because uh, a lot of the time and it's it's true um, I'm sure you probably well you're, you're not quite so subject based as my podcast used to be but when you're looking for a guest or an expert on the topic a lot of the time you just go with the first person you find uh, if they seem okay you're not going to be saying well so for example these are two people I know and I actually interviewed them in my, in my book so they won't mind me saying this but uh, I know two Pinterest experts uh, quite well, Jeff C. and Elisa Meredith. Now, I, can, I would be happy to have either of them as an expert on my podcast or on the Twitter chat or if I was running some sort of new show or I had to go to them. I don't know which one of them is the best, in quotes. <laughs> I just know they're both experts. And the reason they're experts is I've seen them speak on on Pinterest uh and i've seen them give online they both got podcasts well they both had podcasts in the past so now we are moving into a society where you you don't have to take an academic qualification to demonstrate competency in an area you can start your own blog you can start your own video channel you can write your own book you can do you can do all of these things yourself now so the relevance of the signaling side of education is l- much less relevant than it used to be. Um, so I'm, I'm sure this, I'm, I'm whittling on a bit here, but I think you, you probably get the point I'm making in that this has the traditional role of education as a signaling device for competency has been lowered by the fact that there's all these other ways to demonstrate competency in a subject now. Yeah, and I, and I think as you start to, um, well, it almost goes full circle in terms of, you know, social media networks and that kind of thing. The more you get into those sorts of things and the more you start to follow people and the more you get into a topic, the more you find yourself in exactly that thing. You read blogs, you hear podcasts, mm. you watch something, and that's where you get that from. Like I say, rather than that sort of, oh, I just happened to have gone to the library and read this book because this is what I was recommended had to be the thing. You know, you can make your own decisions on those things. And I think... Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's incredibly true. And um, and as you mentioned before, I think we've we've covered so many things about school and <laughs> and and how, what you've learned as you've gone up. We've sort of we've got a roundabout way um, conversation about all of that. But let's let's make sure that everyone listening does get some of the great advice that you've got to offer people beyond that as well. So, uh, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given, and who gave it to you? Um, the funny thing is, like, uh, I'm going to say this, even though. I've been given better general advice, but in terms of a specific piece of advice, it was from a, a, a gym teacher at school, and I think I was about nine. And what he said is, don't bend your back to pick things up, bend your knees. <laughs> um, and why that is such a great piece of advice is that I know lots of other people who are my age and have got severe back problems. I haven't got severe back problems. I've had the odd twinge here and there, but I, I never, I always try and bend my knees to pick things up rather than bending my back. And I was thinking like, yeah, well, it may be the case that there are loads of people, other people who bend their knees who to pick things up who have got back problems, but I don't think that's the case. I'm pretty sure that is one of those easy pieces of advice to remember. <laughs> And it was clear to advice, and it's made a difference in making sure that I don't have a bad back. 
<laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, I absolutely love it because I had a gym teacher, a PE teacher, who did exactly the same. And it was like almost every single class. And he's like, I know we keep going on about it, but it's so really important and all of that. Yeah. So it just, you know, just struck me. I could just imagine we could have always been in the same class, although it came from different parts of the country. But yeah, exactly that thing. It was obviously a really, well, it's a really important thing. It can have, I know. A, have a big effect on your life, can't it? So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's probably not what you'd expected me to say, uh, but the trouble is you, you get so many... Um, one of the problems with advice is that a lot of general advice um, is useful, but then they never tell you the... But it doesn't apply in this case <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> part because it's too complicated. So a specific kind of useful piece of targeted advice actually can be like because there isn't really i can't think of any time when you wouldn't want to bend your knees apart from possibly if you've got knee injury which i've got a knee injury but i still bend my knees uh so uh yeah i mean like my uh, i had advice from both my grandparents one said don't drink which is good advice but i've ignored that completely <laughs> and the other said don't eat bread which is also good advice, but I generally ignore that as well. So <laughs> I, given like I, I didn't take some of the good advice, I thought I'd say the, the piece of advice I took that has had a positive influence. Yeah, perfect. And and what in terms of advice, you know, what advice would you now give your younger self looking back? Um, at some stage, I'm going to try and write a self-help book that has this title. And this is the advice nobody really knows anything um so we are very very influenced by other people's opinion or of how things should be um but generally speaking and this is particularly true now with online business and with the world economy as it is no, very few people are actually experts. We have this kind of idea that um, experts and people who are celebrities in a particular field, even like if they're, say, like a podcasting expert or Pinterest, that those people are they're doing everything right. We should emulate them. We should try and copy them. My opinion now, which... It's in, not necessarily cynical, but uh, I would like to say realistic, is that most people are at best average at virtually everything. Uh, and I'd say, actually, most people have a large swathe of things that they're not very good at. And this includes people who are like world-famous bloggers, influencers, celebrities, the prime minister – you just we are just not alive long enough to get to be fantastic at like a large number of things or even averagely good at number of things everybody has things they are terrible at and most of success and most of the stuff in life that is good comes from people who are very very good at one thing or a small number of things so if you see I'm going to say Pat Flynn, the um, the famous blogger, uh, he's based in San Diego. That guy is very, very good at taking writing blog articles and writing posts. But that doesn't mean that like you should take his necessarily take his fathering tips or take like his his views on what the best transport is into San Diego. He's he's somebody that you should be listening to for what he has done and what he's shown like excellence in but don't copy don't think this person's a very nice person he's a wonderful the whole role model thing can be quite dangerous because you want to be taking the the part that those role models you have as success just the part that they're really they demonstrated success in copy that don't copy like everything they do um now this is a very hard thing to for human beings to do because we are used to copying our parents basically uh, and if you're lucky your parents are generally averagely good at most things um we are kind of almost in name to cop try and copy people but i think the revelation i had a few years ago is that you shouldn't like 
don't put people on a pedestal and don't think like, oh, this person is wonderful. Because then you get all of this sort of saying, oh, they're wonderful at everything and I'm terrible at everything. No, they're generally terrible at everything as well, but they're good at one or two things and they're supposed to be great at one thing. Usually that one thing they do that they're really great at is where they're making having success from. So copy that, but don't copy them in everything. Don't think, oh, this person's successful and he gets up at six in the morning uh, or this person's successful when he, he rubs a, uh, the head of a plastic aardvark every morning. So I've got to have a plastic aardvark that I can rub its head. Like you almost get into this superstition thing where people are copying like random attributes of successful people. And it's like, well, that's not why they're successful. There's some usually obvious why people are successful. They either work really hard they have some unique take on something or they found a very obscure niche or niche. And sometimes people are just successful because they're lucky. I mean, they were in the right place at the right time or they were the first person to do something. So when I was younger, I tended to look up to people and think, oh, they're very successful and I, I can't do that because I'm not blah, 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 or I'm not this. Uh, and, yeah, I suppose that, that rambling advice is that most people are, are useless at most things and don't don't get disheartened because you're not great at everything. You just need to be good at one thing and try and make that work for you. I really like the fact that you, you put it into that kind of almost hero worship because th there is something about that, isn't there? People do take all that on. And I think the important thing for me there is that don't lose yourself in all of those things. If you If yeah. you want to emulate or you want to get wisdom from someone who's successful in something because of what they've done, take that information but fit it into your world and the way you work, you know, just because that, like you say, they get up at five in the morning and do 25 press ups in a jump and a swim a mile and all that sort of stuff. It might be a good thing, but it might not be a good thing for you, but the, the, the really key stuff that they do want to get across, then do that. And I think it's quite hard to do, but I think that, well, there's a much deeper conversation there about mm -hmm. how you fit that within yourself. But I, I think that that really is great advice. What does your future look like? What does my future look like? I've got a few projects and things that, I, <laughs> that uh, the next book I'm going to write, and I'm going to announce this exclusively here, even though I've talked about this before, <laughs> is I am planning to visit every US state by the age of 50. And I'm 46 at the moment, and I've currently visited 15 uh, US states. I heard about this challenge on Twitter, and it's mainly Americans who've been doing it, like retirees and people. And I'm like, well, I could do this. I could do it because I've been to uh, a lot of Midwest and uh, California and Idaho and New Mexico, a lot of sort of bigger states, but I haven't been to loads of the ones on the Eastern Seaboard, which are quite easy to get to. Uh, so I, for this September, I'm going to be going to Boston conference are going to and then i'm going to do a whole load of day trips and try and do four new states in about four days then i'm going to go to new orleans and try and do two states there and then go to atlanta try and do another state and possibly try and do a few more so i'm going to be basically writing a book about like how i'm going to try and get to uh this particular trip um, it may be a multi-trip book i don't know but i want to write a travel book um partly because I know travel books are very easy to rank in the Amazon charts, he says cynically, <laughs> but but also because I do enjoy the, the social element of travel and the fact that I can go and visit people I've known on social media. So that's my kind of next project. Uh, beyond that, I'm... You can tell that I'm not very focused here. Uh, but beyond that, I'm probably going to do NaNoWriMo again. And for those of you who don't know, NaNoWriMo is a US concept called the National Novel Writing Month. And it's where you write a 50,000 word novel in November. Now, three of my books I actually wrote in NaNoWriMo. So I wrote the first draft. I'm going to try and write another time travel book. Now, this is just, this isn't really a commercial thing. This is just because I want to write another time travel book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm going to get a bit geeky here. If you if you allow me, you're going to allow me to get a bit geeky about time travel. Um, f feel free. My first time travel books were based on this alternative reality view of time travel. So, like Marvel Endgame, 
you know, they go back in time, but that creates a different timeline. Yeah. So, so it has no, like, no effect on the present day at all. But what I fancy doing for this November book is to actually write a time travel book where everything you've done in the uh, in your time travel thing is already reflected in the in the present day which sounds a bit weird uh but i've been thinking about this as a, like an intellectual thing so for example if you go back in time you can't shoot your grandfather because your grandfather existed if you go back in time and put a thousand pound into google shares but you don't know nobody knows about it apart from you because you went back in time and did it then you could come back to the present day and go to this uh sell your google shares that you now know that you did and that that is allowed in time travel because you nobody knew about it so the present day is always the result of the time travel you've done in the past right <laughs> <laughs> so i i like the intellectual kind of rigor of that kind writing that kind of time travel book uh, i think that would be quite an interesting thing so that's why i'm doing it it's like a passion project great and that all happens in november and that's november now i did tease you before the show that i have a podcast idea you did indeed yes and you wouldn't uh, tell me what it was you said you were going to announce it live so here we go well yeah i've i've, I've mentioned this beforehand i may run try and run this as a like a patreon thing pre-order so if i get a certain number of people actually uh fund it i might run the show but yeah have you heard of the uh seven degrees of separation thing with kevin bacon yeah so well i think it's seven degrees or five degrees or something like that but the idea is that kevin bacon said he worked with so many people in hollywood that he thought within like five degrees of separation or seven degrees of separation he would know everybody in hollywood so as a personal thing, I was basically on social media. I was trying to get closer and closer to Kevin Bacon. And, I, and, and in uh, March this year, I finally met somebody who had worked with Kevin Bacon. Because um, it used to be that I knew somebody who'd worked with somebody who worked with somebody with Kevin Bacon. But anyway, this has given me the idea of this show idea called Bacon to Bacon. So I start off interviewing like a pig farmer or somebody who works in bacon. And then I asked them at the end of the show, who do you know who most likely to know Kevin Bacon? And they will give me a name. And then I will interview that person. And then in that show, I will ask them at the end of the show, who do you know who's most likely to know Kevin Bacon? And we just keep going until we get to Kevin Bacon. So that is the idea of my uh, sort of totally wacky podcast idea. We start off with a pig farmer and we try and get all the way to Kevin Bacon. So it's bacon to bacon. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how many shows it would take to actually get to Kevin Bacon. I was just thinking that because, of course, you, you might end up doing it really, really quickly, in which case it might be very <laughs> short-lived. <laughs> um, well, or it could, or it could I, be a mini-series that goes on for five years. Yeah, well, I, I did think, actually, I might vary it and have them give me, like, three names and... I could actually check whether any of them, like if it's episode, the pig farmer already knows Kevin Bacon, and it's going to be quite a short show. Really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it might have to have a little bit of massaging. Um, there is absolutely no business benefit in that show whatsoever, but I really want to do it. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those kind of like stupid, kind of like yeah, I just want to run it. I've got this real buzz to write, run a general interview show again, so. That may well happen. Uh, so the future is a combination of all of these kind of things. Um, I've got a few other book ideas and things, but I, I'm kind of busying myself at the moment, really, aren't I, with what I've already got. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> um, and then just to wrap up then, what podcast, book, video, film, song or other resources had the biggest impact on your life and why was that? Well, um the book I would say is during my notice period when I was thinking, oh, I'm going to an IT contract. I read this book called Write, Publish, Repeat uh, by Sean Platt uh, and a few other people. It's about like three of them who authors. And that was describing how they run their self-publishing 
kind of empire, so to speak. They right. That book probably had the most profound effect, as in that steered me away from just doing IT contract work to actually uh, self-publishing books. And then that led me into the whole world of online business and social media and everything else. So that's probably the book that had the biggest effect on my life uh, in terms of just steering me in a different direction. And I'm heartily happy that that happened, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, and it is funny, isn't it, how how these things just sort of come across you at the right time or whatever it happens yeah. to be, and um, like I say, take you wherever wherever you actually need to go. And um, yeah, it's a really interesting interesting thing. Well, for those people who are who are interested in any of those things, whether from from them the publishing to the, the um, social media networking and marketing and all of that kind of thing, where's the best place for them to actually go and find more about you? Well, you can find me as at Stone and Press on Twitter, or you can go to stoneandpress.com. Uh, so that's stone, as in the big round stony thing, ham, as in the big bacony thing, uh, and then press, as in pressing down on something, dot com. Um, I also run the Begin Self Publishing podcast. Uh, if you're interested in self publishing and how that works, uh, that's available on Apple or anywhere probably this show is available Apple, Spotify, etc. And yeah, uh, Twitter or Instagram, but on both of them I'm Stone and Press. Uh, you can attempt to find me on LinkedIn, even though having the name Tim Lewis is quite hard. I think I'm Tim Lewis 808 on LinkedIn uh, with a slash. If you go LinkedIn co.uk slash tim lewis 808 um and yeah just uh twitter's probably the best place to go and just tweet at me and say say that you heard me on this show uh, because it's like with any kind of connection if you're trying to make a connection with somebody at google don't just send a message saying hi give a bit of background say like i heard about you um, or i'm interested in like this and say like you heard me on this show and you wanted to get in touch and you're interested about this and then i can send you links or i can recommend other people required and if you want to know um i don't know any ceos of google if you're looking for that but (laughs) um i do know a lot of other people so um yeah just get in touch with me on twitter is probably the best bet fantastic well thank you tim for for all your conversation it's been absolutely riveting and for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your experiences well it's been great to be on your show Thank you for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. Remember to keep up to date with everything that's happening on the Education on Fire podcast network. You can sign up at educationonfire.com and enter your details to receive the latest information and episodes on the newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. The more we share, the more help and inspiration we can provide. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.